Welcome to Nationwide Market Insights for January 10th, 2022. In today's episode, Nationwide's Deputy Chief Economist, Brian Jordan, provides highlights and perspective of the Nationwide Market Insights quarterly report for the beginning of Q1 2022. To view the quarterly report while you listen to this podcast, visit nationwidefinancial.com forward slash economics. And now, here's Brian Jordan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our review of the first quarter 2022 Nationwide Market Insights deck. As always, we have themes running throughout Nationwide Market Insights. This quarter is no different, and we didn't have to look far for themes this time around. Just before we went to press, the Federal Reserve indicated that it was likely to raise rates in 2022, bumped up its forecast for rate hikes in 2022. So along with higher inflation, which has been a theme in recent quarters, Fed tightening higher short-term interest rates is a major theme in this quarter's deck. So I'll start this quarter on page eight. I'm just going to hit the highlights as we walk through the first quarter edition. I'll start on page eight. Here we have a chart on the changes in the S&P 500 prior to Fed tightening cycles. Again, it does look like we're now in the countdown to the first rate hike of the next FOMC tightening cycle, given what the Fed told us in December of 2021. And here on page eight, we can see that the Fed is typically tightening into a healthy equity market environment. On average, the S&P 500 has gone up by 16.1% in the year prior to the first rate hike of the cycle. That's obviously a very healthy gain. And there are two stories at work here. Number one, the Fed is tightening into a healthy economic environment. And so that means in almost all cases, a healthy market environment as well. But perhaps the biggest takeaway here is that the Fed doesn't want to rock the boat when the market environment is more uncertain. In fact, we've never seen the Fed tighten, at least not in the modern era over the last 50 years or so. We've never seen the Fed tighten or begin a tightening cycle when the market has been down on a year-over-year basis. Now, we did have a more modest increase in the S&P into the last cycle. The uh, the index was up by 5.1% in the year before the first rate hike in 2015. And we'll talk about some reasons for that a little bit later in the podcast. But in general, we see fairly robust increases before the Fed tightens. I'll move from there on to page nine. So the market does well prior to Fed tightening. What does the market do when the Fed actually is tightening, when we're in the tightening cycle, when rates are actually rising? Here we see much more modest increases. On an annualized average basis, the S&P 500 goes up by 3.4% when the Fed is actively raising short-term interest rates. And you can see from from this chart that we've never had a double-digit annualized increase during a Fed tightening cycle. Higher interest rates obviously mean tighter financial conditions. Tighter financial conditions weigh on economic growth. Weaker economic growth in turn means softer corporate profit growth. And so as a result, we see softer increases in stock prices. But you also see from this chart that, at least in recent history, we haven't had outright declines in the S&P during Fed tightening cycles. In fact, the last time 
the index declined during an FOMC tightening cycle was back in the early 1970s. And a big reason for this is the Fed doesn't tighten during recessions. The Fed is tightening in a generally healthy economic environment or tightening into a healthy economic environment while the economy is growing. The last time we had a Fed tightening move in a recession was back in the early 1980s. And so the market is still rising. Earnings are still rising during these periods. Those increases are more muted, however, as the economy is slowing and the outlook as interest rates move up is dimming. So I'll turn from here to page 11. And here we have a chart on sector performance during Fed tightening cycles. And here we have a bit of a counterintuitive result. Um, we're looking at changes in the S&P 500 sectors, uh, annualized changes during Fed tightening cycles, average annualized changes during Fed tightening cycles. And you can see that the information technology sector really sticks out to the upside, by far the big rent winner in recent decades during Fed tightening cycles. Again, this is counterintuitive, and we're seeing this play out in the market very recently here, as long-term interest rates have increased, driven to a large degree by the, the prospect of higher short-term interest rates, tech has been a, been a big loser in, in recent weeks as we record this here in, in early January. Theoretically, technology stocks are highly interest rate sensitive, especially long-term interest rate sensitive. Technology cash flows are, are, are longer term in nature. Expected cash flows are longer term in nature. So these stocks tend to be more sensitive to longer term interest rates, which historically rise during Fed tightening cycles at about half the pace of the Fed funds target. But yet we've seen that IT has done quite well during Fed tightening. And this is because these periods have coincided with healthy economic growth with healthy earnings growth, perhaps slowing economic growth as the Fed has tightened, perhaps slowing earnings growth as the Fed has tightened, but a fairly healthy backdrop as the Fed moves into these cycles. And so that, in most cases, has offset the concern over higher long-term interest rates. So I'll turn now to page 13, and this is a theme that we've had in prior editions of NMI. We brought back this quarter. The theme of underperformance outside of the U.S. Many major equity markets around the world have substantially underperformed the S&P 500 in recent years. Here we look at some of the larger markets and some of the bigger underperformances since the end of the 2007 to 2009 bear market. And you can see some major shortfalls relative to the U.S. The Greek market, for example, has underperformed the S&P 500 by more than 600 percentage points since 2009. These aren't basis points, these are percentage points. Turkey has underperformed the US by more than 500 percentage points. And it's not just emerging markets. Italy, the UK, Austria, France have all underperformed by more than 400 percentage points since 2009. Now it could be argued and, and should be argued that the US policy response to the last two downturns has been more aggressive than policy responses outside of the U.S. And the U.S. economy has performed better as a result, and the market has performed better as a result. Um, but over time, market performances should, in general, coalesce. We shouldn't see large, out, large performance gaps persist over long periods of time in an interconnected world. And so the scope is there, continues to be there, 
as it has been for the last several years for many of these global markets to play catch up to the US. So I'll turn from, from equities now to fixed income briefly. We'll take a look at how the treasury market has performed during Fed tightening cycles. Again, this is a predominant theme, a big theme throughout the current edition of Nationwide Market Insights, Fed tightening and how markets perform during Fed tightening. Here we're looking at treasuries and short treasuries and long treasuries across Fed tightening cycles. You can see that in general, treasury market performance has mirrored that in the equity market, has been positive but soft during uh, Fed tightening cycles. And in general, longer term treasuries have borne the brunt of higher short term interest rates. That's no surprise. Longer term fixed income instruments are theoretically more rate sensitive and so should bear the brunt of higher interest rates. But in recent cycles, you see the 2004 to 06 cycle and the 2015 to 2018 cycle. In more recent cycles, shorter term treasuries have underperformed, long treasuries have outperformed, largely because rates at the short end have moved up from ultra low levels. The Fed started tightening in 2004 with the Fed funds target at just 1%, very low short term interest rates, and of course began tightening in 2015 uh, with short term interest rates near zero, extremely low short term interest rates. And so the market bore the brunt of those cycles and very likely will bear the brunt or very likely could bear the brunt of this forthcoming cycle given the low interest rate environment today. So I'll turn from there to a chart on commodities on page 20. This is a chart we had in last quarter as well, but a very important chart given the ongoing rise in commodity prices and the influence on inflation more generally. Here we're looking at annualized total returns in the stock market, in the bond market, in the housing market, and in commodities over the last quarter century. And of course, the point we're making here is that commodities are unchanged or largely unchanged over the long term. While stocks tend to rise at very healthy rates over long periods of time, and bonds and home prices tend to rise at mid-single digit rates over long periods of time, commodity prices tend to be unchanged over long periods of time. And this is because there are big supply responses, both to, to increases in demand and decreases in demand in the commodity markets. And so as demand picks up during healthy economic periods, supply responds uh, and we see prices come back down. So we see these super cycles in the commodity market. We had a big increase, for example, in the early to mid 2000s into the latter period of, of, of that decade, and then a decline for more than a decade that didn't, didn't end until 2020. Perhaps we're still in the early stages of a longer term uptrend here, but that uptrend is not, uh, shouldn't be expected to last for an especially long period of time, given the track record historically. So I'll move from there to the economic section of the deck. And again, we really want to hit Fed tightening is a major theme in, in this quarter's um, edition of the, uh, of the NMI. So I'll, I'll turn to page 27 here. This is also a chart we had in last quarter, looking at the real federal funds rate by Fed chair. And so the point we're making here is that the Fed has been structurally accommodative. It's not just the Fed under Jerome Powell has been a stimulative Fed, a dovish Fed, 
or the Fed under Jerome Powell and Janet Yellen um, have been stimulative and supportive Feds, but that for decades, the Fed has been a supportive, accommodative central bank. So here you see the, the real federal funds rate, the Fed funds rate minus the inflation rate was, was positive um, during the um, William Miller era, during the Paul Volcker era, and during the Alan Greenspan era. But then since uh, Ben Bernanke took office in 2006, uh, the Fed funds rate has been, the real Fed funds rate has been steadily negative. Fed funds has been below the, in, the inflation rate. So by this metric, a very supportive Fed for a long period of time. Then turning to page 28, and relative to the, the more recent news, the Fed's forecast that it would begin raising interest rates in 2022 and would continue raising interest rates in 2023 and 2024, and those rate increases would be more aggressive than had been thought prior to the D December FOMC meeting. Here we're looking at how those Fed forecasts played out in the last cycle. Now, the Fed dot plot that provides a uh, estimate by Fed officials themselves of future changes in the federal funds target hasn't been around for a long time, but we do have it through the last cycle. And we can see that when the Fed launched that last rate hike cycle in 2015, it was a much slower liftoff, a much more modest liftoff than the Fed itself had been projecting. So at the end of 2014, for example, if we look at the bars on the left-hand side of this chart, at the end of 2014, the FOMC estimated that it would raise the Fed funds target by one full percentage point in 2015 for 25 basis point increases. In the event, it only raised rates once by 25 basis points. Fast forward to the end of 2015, next year, at the end of the next year, and the Fed again estimated that it would raise rates in the subsequent year, in that case 2016, by 100 basis points, four rate hikes, presumably, of 25 basis points each. But again, in 2016, the Fed only raised rates once by 25 basis points. So the Fed overestimated in both of those years, the outset of the last cycle, significantly overestimated the amount of tightening. Now, a big reason for that, and this dovetails back to the first chart we talked about on page eight of the changes in the equity market leading up to Fed tightening, the S&P 500 went into a correction in 2015. And it was only when um, the, the market began moving higher in the latter stages of that year and looked like it was coming out of the correction that the Fed felt comfortable to tightening. So we got the one tightening at the end of 2015. The market then relapsed in early 2016. We didn't end the correction until February of 2016. And that influenced a go slow approach in 2016 as well. The Fed raised rates one time at the end of that year. We had a few soft patches in the economy at that time as well. And so the lesson here is that unforeseen developments in the economy or in the financial markets could keep the Fed on hold for longer than the Fed itself currently anticipates or could temper what the Fed itself anticipates in terms of a magnitude of rate hikes. 2019 was another great example. The Fed had um, picked up the pace of tightening in 2018. You can see one full percentage point in tightening in, 20, in 2018. 
expected to raise rates again in 2019, um, actually lowered rates in 2019, even though, even though the economy hadn't gone into a recession um, at that point um, and was still growing through 2019. So Fed forecasts do provide good estimates of what we might expect from the Fed, all other things being equal. But even the Fed's own forecast has not always been foolproof. Um, we've, uh, at least in, in the last cycle, uh, the Fed's best laid plans haven't come to fruition. And even with that forecast, I'll turn now to page 29, even with that forecast Fed issued in December that was more aggressive than the prevailing forecast, the forecast the Fed had issued in September, the, um, the, the path that many had expected the Fed to take in 2022, even that more aggressive forecast is still relatively tame by historical standards. So here on page 29, we see the pace of Fed rate hikes by Fed tightening cycle. So how much the Fed was lifting the Fed funds target per month by tightening cycle. And you can see the 2015 to 2018 cycle was the slowest, uh, the most moderate in modern history. And then next to that, you see the forecast that the Fed has laid out or the Fed did lay out in December. And you can see that's very much in line. That forecast is very much in line with the Fed's actual tightening in that very slow, very cautious, very measured tightening cycle of 2015 to 2018. Now, we're making some assumptions here. We're assuming that the, uh, the liftoff comes in the spring of 2022, that the tightening cycle runs through the end of 2024. Those start and end dates could influence this pace that we're estimating here in the, uh, in the bar on, on the right-hand side. But the general story here is that very roughly the, the scenario that the Fed has laid out is very much in line with the slow tightening of 2015-2018. Nothing like the rapid tightening we had in 1994-1995, for example, or the very rapid tightening of the late 1970s, early 1980s. Even if the Fed's forecast comes to fruition, this would still be a very measured, very cautious tightening cycle. So I'll turn from that to uh, some charts on inflation. These next four charts are charts we had in the deck last time around. They've been updated for the more recent data. Um, they bear repeating given that inflation is so important to the Fed and to the financial markets and has been such a driver in the markets or was such a driver in the markets in 2021. So here on page 30, um, we have a chart of the consumer price index, the yearly change in the consumer price index. And you can see that the theme that we had last quarter has only continued, has only been exacerbated. In the last three months, um, the inflation rate has continued to climb. Now it's 6.8% as we record this podcast, the highest since 1982. But if we turn to page 31, we can see that even though the um, inflation rate has broadened in recent months, there is still a large gap between that headline inflation rate and the median change within the consumer price index, the median change among the CPI components. So the headline inflation rate is 6.8%. The median CPI is rising by 3.5%. That's still a fairly big pickup. Uh, that median rate entered 2021 at just 2.2%. So a pretty substantial pickup, a pretty substantial broadening in inflation in 2021 that does suggest that there are risks that this could continue, this story could continue for some time in 2022. 
but at the same time, a fairly large spread between headline inflation and median inflation or the median change within the consumer price index. And this would suggest that outliers are still to a significant degree driving that inflation rate higher. Categories like used cars, news cars, and of course, energy in recent months, um, driving that inflation rate close to 7%. Page 32, we look at the changes, the median changes historically in the inflation rate across the business cycle. And we've made this point before as well, but it's a point that bears repeating that inflation is a lagging indicator. It would be unusual for a sustained inflation to take hold so early in an expansion, so early in a business cycle. Typically, inflation only comes later in the business cycle, towards the end of economic expansions and continues into the early stages of recessions. This was true even through the runaway inflation, the very high inflation of the 1970s and early 1980s. And we saw um, a pickup in inflation in 1972, 1973, as that 1970 to 73 um, expansion was coming to an end. We saw another pickup in the late 1970s as the 1975 to 1980 um, expansion was coming to an, to an end, and then another wave in the early 1980s, as that very brief expansion in the early 80s was, was coming to an end. These are late cycle events. So if we were to see the inflation of 2021 continue through the end of this expansion into the next downturn, that would be an, an unusual development. More typically, we see these inflationary episodes happening later rather than sooner in a cycle. Turning to the next page on page 33, we take a look at inflation over the long swath of, of U.S. history and show that it is rare for inflation to be sustained and has been rare for inflation to be sustained historically. So these are all the cases going back to the year 1800, where the inflation rate has come in at at least 5% in at least two consecutive years. So as you can see, we've only had seven cases historically in which the inflation rate has come in above 5% in back-to-back -back years or longer. And most of these cases coincided with war or the immediate aftermath of war. And you can see how much of an outlier that 1970s, 1980s episode really was. Outside of that case, in which we had CPI inflation in excess of 5% for 10 consecutive years, we had never had uh, a situation in which the inflation rate had, had been above 5% for more than five consecutive years, in very few cases, again, where it's been above 5% even in back-to-back -back years. So, in, so sustained inflation very rarely has happened in U.S. history. So the, the upshot here is that even though the Fed has buried the word transitory, and Jerome Powell has gone out of his way to say that the Fed will no longer be using that term, to describe the inflation rate, transitory inflation has been much more common than sustained inflation. We've had several cases where inflation has picked up on a one-year basis, on an 18-month basis. We've very rarely had cases where it has been sustained, very high inflation beyond that timeline. So more often than not, spikes in the inflation rate give way to relatively quick pullbacks in the inflation rate. More fundamentally, turning to page 35 now, page 34 rather, um, we're taking a look at some of the developments in recent months that would suggest that inflation may soon peak 
So on the left-hand side, we've got a chart looking at the number of commodities in short supply on a month-to-month -month basis. Now, this comes from the ISM manufacturing survey. Um, every month, the ISM surveys its respondents on commodities that are up in price, commodities that are down in price, and which commodities are in short supply. And you can see we've had a fairly dramatic uh, decline in the number of commodities in short supply in recent months, in the second half of 2021. In the summer of last year, um, at peak, 36 commodities were reported in the ISM survey to be in short supply. Fast forward to December, um, at the end of the year, only 10 commodities were reported to be in short supply. So commodity availability has dramatically improved or did dramatically improve in the second half of 2021. Now, in a typical month prior to the pandemic, we would see three or four commodities on average in short supply. There were virtually always a few commodities in short supply. So at 10, as of December of last year, we're still above average, we're still above trend, but we're moving much more in line with trend and much closer to trend than we did in the summer and fall of, of last year. This would suggest that a healing process is underway. The same story is evident in the chart on the right-hand side of the page, uh, yearly changes in business inventories. Inventories are being restocked. Shortages are giving way to inventory restocking. Now, the inventory to, to sales ratio is still very low, but if this trend were to continue, inventories are rising at their fastest pace on a year-over-year -year basis in more than a decade. If this trend were to continue, that IS ratio would start to rise and we would see price pressures diminish as a result. Again, the big story from both of these charts is that the healing process is already underway. Peak bottleneck is likely behind us. Peak supply chain issue is likely behind us. And as a result, we should see the inflation rate coming down here in 2022. So from there, I will turn to page 35 and wrap up with page 35, the most important chart of all in our deck, this is always the most important chart, the yield curve, showing the difference between long-term interest rates and short-term interest rates. And more than any other indicator, this tells us where we are in the business cycle and where the economy is likely to go. And the financial and the financial markets are likely to go over the course of the next 6, 12, 18 months. So even with some narrowing late last year, um, the yield curve, the difference between um, the federal funds target rate and the 10-year treasury yield is still quite positive, in fact, above its long-term average and still suggesting that the economy is poised for growth in the year ahead. And you can see from the historical line here that every recession in modern history and the shaded areas on this chart represent recessions. Every recession in modern history has been preceded by an inverted yield curve higher short-term interest rates, a higher federal funds target rate than long-term interest rates, the 10-year treasury yield. Every recovery has been preceded by a right-sized, a right-sizing in the yield curve. Uh, right now, the curve is still in general in a steepening trend, at least from a big picture standpoint, looking back to just before the 2020 recession and um, in the early stages of uh, the 2020 recovery, curve still looks to be in a steepening trend, will flatten as the Fed tightens, of course, um, but will flatten slowly 
as the Fed tightens. And so the outlook should still be healthy here. There are a number of emerging headwinds. Inflation has moved higher to its highest level in nearly 40 years. The Fed is responding to higher inflation or is going to respond to higher inflation, has indicated it will respond to higher inflation by beginning to raise short-term interest rates here in, in 2022. Those are developing risks, and especially the latter will continue to be a risk in the years ahead. The curve is telling us, though, that it will still be some time before policy is restrictive and before this cycle looks as if it is coming to its conclusion. Um, so many cross currents in the current environment, um, inflation and, and, and Fed chief among them. But the curve, the most important indicator of all, suggests to us that the outlook remains healthy. So with that, I will leave it there. And thank you all for listening. This podcast is for financial professional use only. The information provided by Nationwide Economics is general in nature and not intended as investment or economic advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. Additionally, it does not take into account any specific investment objectives, tax, and financial condition or particular needs of any specific person. The economic and market forecast reflect our opinion as of the date of this report and are subject to change without notice. These forecasts show a broad range of possible outcomes. Because they are subject to high levels of uncertainty, they will not reflect actual performance. We obtain certain information from sources deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or fairness. Nationwide and the Nationwide N and Eagle are service marks of Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company. Copyright Nationwide 2022.